Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with How Stuff Works and iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. It's time for another qualifier on that. This is a classic episode that originally aired on July 9th, 2012, and it is titled Tech Stuff Arms Itself with Non-Lethal Weapons. Chris and I sit down to talk about the whole idea behind non-lethal weapons, including the somewhat flexible definition of what non-lethal is. I hope you guys enjoy. And so we wanted to talk today about weapons that are designed to stop a target without killing that target, or at least that that's supposed to be what they do. Well, yeah, some, some of the uh, research I did also turned up other versions of the... Uh, phrase non-lethal weapons, including less than lethal weapons, yes. which sounds to me like it is a a, a verbal uh, disclaimer. He's only mostly dead. Yeah. Well, it's not supposed to kill you. We actually had somebody, uh, we've had some people write in to ask us about uh, a particular, uh, one of the ones we're going to talk about today. Yeah. But um, really, there, there's a whole series of different kinds of things that the military and police departments around the world are investigating to basically stop people without uh, hurting them. Permanently. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. So, and this is, this is tough. I mean, how do you, how do you convince someone to stop uh, acting irrationally or dangerously uh, without really hurting that person in turn? And it's tricky. Uh, But there are a lot of different approaches that we've tried to take. Yeah. And I was, I'm I'm sorry. I was about to say, though, that uh, there are a lot of reasons why you would want to do this other than, you know, simply not wanting to, uh, to kill someone. Um, you know, for for strategic reasons, if you have, say, uh, um, and, and this scenario I've seen uh, written about a lot, uh, say an uprising where you have, say, hundreds of people uh, protesting, and maybe the protest is getting out of hand. Well, the uh, the authorities who come to subdue the protesters or disperse the protesters, uh, if they kill people, they are likely to escalate yes uh, these kinds of of riots or or disquiet and uh you know it's uh it's happened you know we can i can remember stories going back centuries of something like this happening so if there's a way to to uh, uh get people to leave without really hurting anybody that that's an advantage for for everyone really i mean right. uh, the protesters don't get hurt as badly or or uh you know even if it just makes them feel uncomfortable and they leave as a result of that. I mean, it seems like uh, it's a positive for everyone. Yeah, and and we've tried a lot of different approaches with a lot of different uh, uh, methodologies. A of, and a lot of different results. Right, not all of them have been successful. Uh, here's one of the ones I wanted to talk about first that's just kind of interesting to me. Okay, sure. This is using sound as a weapon. Do tell. Uh, now, there are two different ways that sound tends to be used as a weapon. One of them is in something called a long-range acoustic device, mm-hmm. or LRAD. Ah, now, yes. These are focused beams of sound. You you just you crank up the decibel level to like 150 decibels, which is about 50 decibels over the pain threshold. Mm-hmm. And you direct it at the target, and that means the target suddenly has this incredibly loud noise uh, directed at them, and it it, it's a painful experience to hear it. In fact, mm-hmm. you can suffer hearing loss if you are subjected to that for too long. Uh, 
some of these devices have actually been used for communication purposes. I read one report that said that there were uh, Navy ships that used a form of LRAD to send out signals to um, to boats mm-hmm. as they pulled into a harbor. So let's say that a, a giant Navy vessel is sailing into a harbor that's got a, a busy fishing uh, uh, industry. Mm-hmm. And not all the fishermen are necessarily paying attention to the fact that there's an enormous ship coming in and they need to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. I, I read a report that said that there was a way where you could use this as a communications tool where you're not trying to overpower someone. You're not trying to cripple them. You're just trying to get their attention and say, hey, buddy, uh, we're coming through. You might want to move. Right. And Except you're saying it in whatever the local language is and that it totally freaks people out. Because suddenly they can hear this voice coming from really far away as if it's on a radio or something. But there's no radio. I mean, it's just using a a focused beam of sound to direct that sound at the individual. Mm -hmm. And that that gets a little, you know, it's a little unreal, surreal, if you will. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I would love to have one of these (laughs) just to mess with people. (laughs) Like, hey, hey, you, I can see you. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But but, but the, the other use of this is, like I said, crank it up and you cripple someone because it's just so loud that it, it's the pain is uh, uh, difficult to, to bear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. On the, uh, on the uh, Department of Defense non-lethal weapons program pages, and they have uh, – I use these for, for my research. Uh, they have uh, a set of current and uh, proposed um, – Different kinds of non-lethal weapons, and they use uh, what they call acoustic hailing devices, mm-hmm. which I think are, are probably related to these. Uh, and they have a picture of one of those, but they say that they use them too to uh, uh, give intelligible voice commands over very, very long distances. So I think they, you know, from ship to ship, um, you know, where they're not actually trying to cause pain, but they're using that level of uh, uh, extra heavy amplification to get a message across. And they consider it a weapon, but they're not talking about using it in the exact same way. Yeah, uh, it's, it's like a really focused bullhorn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another um, non-lethal weapon that I saw that uses sound is the impulse stunner gun. Oh, um, I, I don't know about this one. No, it's uh, it's it's pretty neat. Um, some of these some of these weapon, quote-unquote weapons, uh, I guess they're technically weapons, um, have very interesting names. Uh, this one is uh, would have been used if you've ever watched the uh, the movie Thunderball, um, the documentary, the Thunderball. documentary Th- yeah. Thunderball, um, which uh, has a, a very scintillating underwater battle scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but if someone had had the impulse stunner gun, that might have gone a different way. Because basically, this is uh, uh, used to uh, stop people who are diving or swimming um, underwater. It uses a, a sound wave that uh, travels underwater that affects the way uh, a person uh, hears mm-hmm. and will induce nausea. Ooh. So, not something you want to feel when you're underwater. No, no. And I mean, if you had, uh, you know, divers who are attempting some kind of underwater subterfuge, I wanted to say subterfuge partially because Especially it had sub it's in underwater, it. yeah. yes. Um, you know, it would, it would, you think about that. If you were feeling suddenly like you were about to be ill, very violently ill underwater, I imagine it would be very hard to uh, continue on with your actions. You would yeah. have to uh, break it off and, and dive surface. for the surface, you yeah. know, dive for the surface. What? Swim to the surface. There we go. 
Um, but yeah, that's a, a pretty neat uh, application of sound too. Well, and and another one I saw, which uh, did not have a name, or at least not a name that I could find, is a uh, product that was developed by some Japanese engineers. Uh, it was a gun that has a microphone, a directional microphone, mm-hmm. and directional speakers. And the what the gun does is you point it at someone who's being loud and obnoxious. Their voice goes into the microphone. It gets projected back from by the speakers at about a 0.2 second delay. Mm-hmm. So the person talking starts to hear themselves speaking, but 0.2 seconds behind what they're currently saying, which is incredibly distracting. It's very difficult to continue a train of thought when you're hearing yourself at a slight delay. If you've ever talked on the phone or on any sort of radio device where you got that little bit of an echo, or on, on on Skype, for example, mm-hmm. anything like that, where you start talking and you start hearing yourself just an instant after you're talking, it can be very disorienting. It you, can be very disorienting. <laughs> yeah, you start talking and then you're thinking, wait, I just said that. No, no, I just said that. No, 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 I just said that. And then you can't make sense of anything anymore. So this particular quote-unquote weapon was sort of a, a – was designed to try and take care of people who are rude. Yeah. It's not meant to be like something to disperse a crowd or whatever. It's, but there were a lot of uh, of notes I saw on the article. Yeah, that was um, popular a few a few months ago. I yeah. remember seeing seeing that a lot. So it's not a it's not something that the police are using necessarily. It's more like a I'm trying to eat my dinner in a restaurant and you're yes. having a cell phone conversation at the table next to me and you're really annoying. Yeah, or I'm at the movie theater and yeah. I just want to watch this documentary. Darn it. Um, yeah, the. The notes I saw said, what if you use this for someone who's doing some public speaking event? (laughs) But I would imagine that even with directional speakers, it's not so focused that only the person who is speaking can hear it. You know, it's not like you're beaming the words directly back into the person's ears. Everyone can hear it. So it's not like you could get away with doing something like that. Everyone would know who had done that and you would – you would very quickly get your comeuppance, I would imagine, depending upon the circumstances of where you used it. Why but, I ought to pound you. Yeah. Um, like, I just want to aim it at that valedictorian. <laughs> I think she's so big. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, uh, I was uh, also thinking that that's interesting that we bring that up in an election year here in the United States where people are giving a lot of speeches. Well, see, that was the thing. That was so. that was what a lot of the notes uh, right. Uh, were you know that's what they pertain to was the idea of some sort of person who's running for an elected office right. and then disrupting their speech so that they seem like they're an idiot, and then you know, gives their opponent an advantage. But the truth is, is that particular weapon or that particular product, whatever you want to call it, would not be so subtle as to allow someone to get away with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another. This is not. Oh, do you have? I had another sound? sound one. Oh, good. Um, uh, another. Uh, DOD product. Product. Okay. Um, actually looks sort of like a a series of, of flat discs that are corded together. Uh, doesn't look very offensive, if you will, uh, weapon, but it's called the, uh, Enhanced Underwater Loud Hailer. I told you they had some strange names. Uh, basically, uh, this is another underwater device that, uh, can be used up to, uh, uh, 40 meters deep. In water, um, and it can it can transmit sound up to 457 meters away. Uh, basically, they can give it, it's sort of like the one that they use above the surface of the water, but um, it allows you to uh, send. I'm you know I actually the one I was just talking about a few moments ago where the uh, 
the device that you could use to send signals for a very long time or uh, make your commands heard for a very long distance, they show a picture of a Navy ship. I think you could probably use that in, in other applications. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, they can also they can also issue commands with this underwater loud hailer or impair uh, – um, people's hearing underwater for up to two hours, uh, it will operate. So, uh, pretty neat. It's sort of, it's sort of like the, um, in some of the other research I did, I was looking at, uh, things like caltrops and uh, oh. devices that you would use to stop vehicles. And I wasn't really going to focus on that, but it sort of seems like that. Like you could drop this underwater. It's battery operated and they can use it to give commands and, and affect divers hearing, uh, underwater. So yeah, pretty neat. Yeah. Um, I'm ready to move on to a new category unless you have another uh, sound one. Nope, no other All sound right. ones. This is this is moving to the category of air. Okay. Using air as a weapon. Oh, sort of like the air zooka? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. So air zooka. So you're talking about a device. That's a toy. Yeah, it's a toy. It's a device that creates a vortex ring. Yeah. Now, a vortex ring is kind of, imagine sort of like a tornado, except it's in a donut shape. And it will, it's air that will rotate in this donut shape, and it actually will maintain that integrity for a pretty good distance. And the air zooka is just a, it's a toy that does this. You pull back a, uh, a, a, a sort of a, well, it's a diaphragm, really, and you let yeah. go, and it pushes air out through a nozzle, and that creates this spinning vortex of air that then can go across a room and hit someone in the face, and they feel like someone just, you know, Blew a huge breath of air right in their face for <laughs> for no apparent reason. So yeah, you walk in the door of a room. Someone across the room has gone, Foomp, and then you go, "Hey, what was that?" Yeah. Well, and, and there's and I mean it doesn't move that fast either. So it's kind of funny because you actually can see, you know, there's there are a few seconds between when someone might fire one and someone else might feel it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you're just waiting and waiting. So did it work? Oh yeah, there's the guy. They're flinching now. Yep, it worked. Well, you can actually. Kick that up a notch. Kick that up a notch. And weaponize it. Mm-hmm. And if you use pressurized gas and you accelerate the gas to supersonic velocity as it exits the nozzle, once it comes out of that nozzle, it becomes a high spin vortex ring that can travel a good long distance and be strong enough to knock over someone, oh, around 180 pounds. So they, it's like getting shoved in the chest by a really strong person. Uh, it's just it's just that it's air. Now you could also, if you were so inclined, add in um, malodorants. I you know there were so many jokes that I were, was thinking about making, and I'm you're just not helping me. Well, the malodorants would be designed. Malodorant, of course, is something that smells bad. Mm-hmm. But a malodorant could be designed to induce nausea, uh, or uh, or to make your eyes water. So then you're getting shoved by a very stinky person, essentially. But when I say stinky person, I'm talking about smells that are so bad that you might feel like retching. It's it's not like right. it's not just, you know, oh, that's like rotten eggs. No, it's way, way worse. And uh you could even put in other stuff too if you really wanted to, like some something that would affect you even more um uh, acutely than a malodorant. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's the general idea is just using air to knock back a person. Now, in this case, it, you're talking about a weapon designed to really knock back individuals, right? You're not talking about, like, if there's a group of people uh, walking up, shooting each one with a vortex of air is going to take a while. 
Because you have to let that pressure build back up again, and you have to then release the gas so that it goes out. And then, of course, again, that's a projectile that doesn't move as fast as, say, a bullet or even sound or anything like that. So uh, it starts to slow down almost immediately as it moves out. Well, really immediately as soon as it uh, ejects from the nozzle. So even though it's moving at supersonic speeds within the nozzle, once it gets out, it starts to slow down. Um, so it's not it's not something that you could use on uh, a mass of people. But if you're talking about uh, aiming at a specific person to knock them down, perhaps it's a individual who has uh, shown himself to be a danger or herself to be a danger uh, to others, then it would be a useful tool mm-hmm, mm-hmm. without actually causing that person direct harm. Now, granted, if the person falls down, there's always the chance that person could suffer serious injury in that fall. But the the impact of the air itself should not necessarily cause injury. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't really have a lot of air-based... Uh, I can move on to electricity. Well, you know, it, I do have one that's... Uh, that sort of reminds me of that. Okay. It's sort of out of that uh, uh, that field. And there was one that, that I saw as a uh, – um, it, it would be very effective against vehicles, but it also would make you, uh, uh, well, slip, called polymer ice. Did you run across this one at all? No, this is not. Now, this is, this is, a, this is a spray – but apparently, what it is is essentially a you know a polymer as a uh, as a chemical, and they would use it in places where uh, the military is looking into this as a possibility. Apparently, for uh, especially for places that are uh, particularly warm, like the Middle East or um, you know uh, places closer to the equator than say well, I don't know Greenland, um, or maybe Atlanta, Georgia on a summer's day. Exactly, uh, but effe- it effectively creates. Sort of, you would spray it on the ground, and it would effectively create a icy situation. So this this plastic would make people slip and fall as though they were on ice. Um, now, if you're uh, if you're thinking Keystone Cops sort of thing, so you're chasing somebody, and uh, we, they've set up a trap ahead of them so that the uh, polymer is on the ground now. So they're starting to fall, and then of course the people who are chasing them also begin to slip and fall. So everybody is writhing around on the ground because they can't get up. It's like so, a bunch of turtles on their backs. Yeah. Um, they, they have been working on a, a counter agent for this. To that coat, they could use the, the shoes. They could use it on the shoes and tires of vehicle, vehicles that are, you know, uh, running after them. This, this I, sounds I just like a, still, a really advanced version of my automatic banana peel tosser. Yes. But uh, yeah, the, the whole you know making people fall down thing that we, where you were just talking about that a moment ago with using the uh, high powered air, I thought, oh, slipping and falling down—that sounds like the uh, if you could use the two together, so you could really have people on their backs. So this is r- the reason why I really wanted to do this uh, this topic because the more we talk about, it, the more it sounds like we're entering a world where Acme products from Warner Brothers cartoons are a reality. Well, it. <laughs> People still like talking about that that uh, effort that the U.S. military made to weaponize bats. Well, there's also the whole weaponized dolphins thing. Too. Yes, yes, and so, that, those those things are actually well were actually real. So hey, yeah, <laughs> there's some some of these are really cool, and some of them are sillier than you, others. You take advantages any way you can get them, and not everything sure. pans out. All right, so let's move on to electricity. Sure. Okay. So well, there's plenty of that. Yeah, uh, you know, you have your typical stun guns, which. A, a basic stun gun 
is a device that has a couple of electrode prongs that when you uh, when you activate it, uh, electricity passes between the two prongs. Mm-hmm. So if you were to put that in contact with a human, you could shock them. And generally, it's a strong enough electric shock to make their muscles seize up. Uh, it causes pain, and it also makes people fall over if the if the shock's enough for their muscles to seize up like that. Yeah. They, they, they lose control of their muscle um, uh, their muscle movements and they fall over. Yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, you. You can't. You can't stop that. You know because our muscles do work on electrochemical signals. Yeah. So if you use electricity to override those signals, then suddenly they just start contracting like crazy, and you can't really do anything. Um, as someone who has actually felt the sting of an underpowered stun gun. I can tell you it is not a pleasant experience. Mm-hmm. Felt like a it felt like a really intense bee sting because the one that was um, I was going to say used on me, but really I used it on myself. Uh, <laughs> I was an idiot kid. I don't want to know. It was not the first one to do it either. I watched until uh, several other people went, "Ow, that that hurts." And the next one's like, "Hey, give me that." Ow, wow, that does hurt. And the next person, "Hey, give me that." Ow, and then it came around to me. I'm like. All right, give me that. <laughs> uh, but the battery had really run down, so it wasn't a very powerful stun gun. And really, the reaction we all had was if you hit an attacker with that particular stun gun because the battery had been worn down so much, you really would have just irritated them. Because, again, it wasn't enough to make all your muscles contract. It made you, made made whatever muscle it was in contact with twitch like crazy, uh, and it stung, but it wasn't enough to really be a deterrent. Well, a real stun gun with a fully charged battery is serious business. That can make yes. you fall over, and it can be a while before you can get back up again. And perhaps the most, I would argue, the most famous name in this sort of technology, although it's not just a stun gun, is Taser. Mm-hmm. And a typical Taser is a device that ejects a pair of electrodes, fires them at a target, uh, the electrodes trail a wire that connects back to the handheld device. Mm-hmm. And then once it comes into contact with the target, electricity flows through the wires into those electrodes and shocks the target. Mm-hmm. And again, pr- creates a shock strong enough to make all those muscles contract. And the person uh, generally winces, says something along the lines of, ow, and falls over. Yes. Um, and... It, the intention is to do this in a non-lethal way. Now, there have been deaths associated with the use of tasers. In some cases, it was because of the way the the target or the person – we'll say person. Target is just the generic term, but the person fell, and then the fall was partially what killed the person. In some cases, it might be that the person had a pacemaker or some other medical device that got uh, – uh, that malfunctioned due to the electric shock. Right. Sometimes it has to do with uh, drugs that are in the person's system. Anyway, even though it's meant to be non-lethal, not every single instance is non-lethal. So these are, and that's pretty much true of all the things we're talking about that have these really serious consequences. Is that they could potentially kill somebody. Mm-hmm. Well, that that basic taser. You can fire that at someone who's maybe 15, 20 feet away. Uh, but 
Taser came up with something pretty interesting that I saw, I think, back in 2009 at CES. Right. I believe you're talking about uh, an article you wrote on HowStuffWorks.com. Yeah, the Taser shotgun. Yes. Yeah. Well, it actually isn't the shotgun itself. It's the shotgun shell. It's the shell. But you, you do you do get – you can have a, a specific shotgun that is uh, designed to only fire these Taser shotgun shells. So they won't fire a, a round of shot. Yeah. Uh, but these Taser shotgun shells, inside the the shell is a Taser device. There are the little electronic probes that will stick into whatever the target is. The back half of the shell detaches, and there are a bunch of uh, there are a couple of wires where it'll attach to the probes. The back half dangles down from the target, and then shoots electricity through those prongs. So that gives. Uh, military or police the ability of firing a taser at a much greater range than they could if they were just using a handheld device. Mm -hmm. Also, the shotgun shell has little uh, fins on it that stabilize its flight. Uh Aha. So uh, I've seen Unlike slow, a regular shotgun that has shot that disperse it disperses over, as soon as you fire range, it. Yeah, yeah, this this is so that it'll give it a stable flight path so that it'll it'll fly in the the straight direction of where you're aiming the shotgun. Right. And I, if I remember the article correctly, um, you wrote that uh, there if if they try to remove it, then they get shocked. Yeah. The 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 wires that have the Which electricity is, running through them are not shielded. So. You, ow, I need to remove this. Yeah, then you Double try, ow. you grab it and then you get shocked again. And it, it does send pulses of electricity through. And I think it's like 20 seconds of a pretty serious shock so that it'll immobilize the, the, the person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they were showing – every time I see Taser at CES, they, are, they tend to be showing off their technology by bringing in volunteers. And I cannot imagine ever being a volunteer for that. I, I I took a pepper spray certification course. Ooh, did you actually have to get hit by the pepper spray? Uh, to be actually certified, yes. I and uh, everyone, I, I elected not to. I watched everyone else do it, and I was very glad that I had not elected not to. Yeah, everyone I've seen. I mean, I, I've known a lot of people who've gone into the military, into mm-hmm. uh, or into the the uh, police force, or even into. Uh, to firefighter courses where part of it is that they have to be uh, exposed to this stuff yeah. so that they understand what the consequences are and they, they know what the effect is. Well, and in every case, it has been a horror story to hear about their experiences. Well, yeah, that's the, uh, that's the thing. One of the reasons that pepper spray is more effective than a lot of chemical weapons, from what I understand, is that um, uh, no matter what you might be... Uh, taking if you're on some kind of drug that might otherwise um, you know make you feel less pain uh, the pepper spray will still make everything swell up yeah uh, involuntarily um, so you and, might uh, you might not notice the pain but the swelling yeah. will still impede you yeah and that was one of the reasons that uh, that they they have to do that it was because actually goes back to your uh, shocking yourself story is yeah. to keep people from Going, hey, Bill, look at this. You know, uh, you don't want to do that. No, on on just just for kicks. It's not something that that's no, it's fun serious to do. business. But um, well, yeah, I have one other electricity one. Okay, cool. And then I can actually add a couple things that are similar. Groovy. Chris and I will be back to talk more about non-lethal weapons in just a moment. But first, let's take a quick break.
the last one I wanted to talk about, and this is still a taser one, mm-hmm. is the taser shockwave. Now, I don't know much about this one. Uh, this was another one that I saw on display the same time as the shotgun. Now, shockwave is essentially it's a bank of tasers. Mm-hmm. Take six regular taser guns together in a 20-degree arc uh, and put them on a tripod. And then you set it out in front of you, and that way when the rampaging horde of zombies comes at you, you can fire off, if you wanted to, you could fire off all six at the same time, hitting those those people as they come at you. Are, but you can also stack them. Are zombies affected by electricity? Well, they, their muscles would have to be, right? You would think there would be a galvanic response. But, yeah, you I know, mean, you know, clearly know. there's a galvanic response. I mean, come on, Frankenstein alone. All right, anyway, we'll have this discussion offline. <laughs> but you can stack these taser shockwaves, so you could have three or four of them stacked on top of each other, which mm-hmm. means now you've got four, three or four times that, so 18 or 24 stun guns at your taser, stun guns at your disposal. This is terrifying to look at in person. I mean, you yeah. look at this thing and you just think of the, you, you realize like this is for very serious problems, like a, a an uprising or a riot or mm-hmm. something where there are, there's a, a, a demonstrable danger to people and property. Mm-hmm. I, like I think about the riots that happened in London in, in the, yeah. the summer of 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is the sort of thing where you could imagine uh, something like this deployed where it's, you know, you wouldn't think of this as a, a, a the first option, but it's definitely one of those things that, you know, could be in an arsenal for trying to do crowd control or prevent uh, a a mob or a riot from attacking a particular target. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it it basically functions the same way as a taser stun gun. It's just that you have uh, put a whole bunch of them together in series and – Actually, I guess technically they're all in parallel, and you can stack them, and and so it's like instead of having to have a whole bunch on hand, where as soon as you because as soon as you fire a taser, you can't just immediately redeploy it. Mm-hmm. You know, first of all, you had you would have to reel in the electrodes again. You'd have to have a new uh, cartridge of propellant in order to shoot those electrodes out again. You'd also have to have a charged up battery to. To, to uh, deliver the shock. Yeah. So this is what gives you that capacity without having to have a whole bunch in a box behind you. Yeah, that would that would be another advantage of having the uh, taser shotgun shell. Yeah. Is you can reload very quickly and and. Yeah, it's absolutely terrifying, really. Anyway, uh, what was your next category? Let me see before I. Uh, I was going to go on to one of my favorite types of technology of all time. Oh, okay. Lasers. Okay. Well, before before we do that, since we were talking about the taser shotgun shell a moment ago, um, the Department of Defense also has uh, weapons that it uses in shotguns, um, such as sting ball shells. Um, wow. Sting, sting balls are essentially, uh, I mean, they're shot, but they're rubber. Mm. So it's almost like the beanbag guns, too. Ow. Yeah. Um, this is why I think that some people use less than lethal, because I imagine that uh, a rubber pellet, uh, well, judging by the effects of hockey pucks on unprotected hockey players when they get hit with them. Yeah. Or even protected ones, you know, and that's a frozen piece of rubber. So, you know, I'm thinking that if it were coming at you fast enough, it could do significant damage. But they use they use sting balls in another in, in several other types of uh, 
weapons. Like the uh, there's a stingball grenade uh, that launches uh, the little rubber pellets and uh, a, a modular crowd control munition, um, which is about the size of a Claymore mine, and uh, sends wow. 600, 600 rubber balls out at high speed. Uh, "Quote unquote" to suppress targets, and I'm pretty sure if an explosion of 600 little rubber balls were happening right next to me, that I would probably be suppressed. Yeah, yeah. I, well, here's the thing: is that when we talk about things like these these devices that shoot out uh, uh, projectiles at high speeds, clearly there's already an added danger there because you've got something that's causing the stuff to fly out at those those velocities, right? Right. So you have some sort of propellant or explosive that is giving these things the kinetic energy they need to suppress crowds. Clearly, I would imagine if you are right there next to whatever it is when it goes off, you could suffer a really severe injury, yeah. if not if not death. Well, you know, they use the flashbang grenades. Uh, they use, you know, these explosive devices to propel these out. And if you were standing right next to it, if the, uh, the charge is loud enough, I'm sure it could damage your hearing. I mean, thinking back to uh, uh, Keith Moon's uh, famous appearance with The Who... Um, on the uh, Smothers Brothers show, where he put a uh, basically just an off-the-shelf um, explosive inside his bass drum, yeah, and, it, and uh, didn't tell damaged, his bandmates, yeah, and, and Pete Townsend's hearing is was damaged permanently by that. Yeah, Townsend had some uh, some some interesting things to say about that, although not immediately after the explosion because he couldn't hear anything. Yeah, um, so so that's certainly an issue. I've played paintball too. Have you ever? Play. No, I have not. Um, one of the first things that I know, and, and those use, uh, the paintball guns use uh, compressed uh, carbon dioxide capsules right. um, to fire the paintballs out. Now, uh, actually, they, they, they use um, similar things in uh, law enforcement in the military. They, they have uh, capsaicin capsules, basically pepper spray right. in paintball form, if you will. Right. Um, and they have guns that, that fire those. But... Um, you know, I was the first, very first game I played. I'd never played before. Of course, you're wearing goggles. Okay, so if you have a sting ball grenade and you are in a crowd and you don't have goggles on, then your eyes are obviously in danger. Right. But th- this is one of those things where you, you, you put the, the goggles on and you, you're ready to go and everybody's set up on your teams and they blow the whistle to start the paintball game. And the paintball, you start to hear the sounds of the paintballs behind you. And you're several hundred feet away from the people who are firing them, and you're starting to go, you know what? This is going to hurt when I get shot. And as it turns out, it does. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, these these weapons, I mean, talking about rubber balls and some of these other things, that these projectiles, even though they are designed to be non-lethal, can cause damage, uh, you know, if you if you get hit with them in the right spot. I mean, you know, it might be you might get one in the arm from a, a thousand feet away and go, ow. Right. Okay, so you went out, but if you were standing right next to it, it could cause a lot more damage. Yeah, if you were near it and you got it in the rib, you could have a broken rib, or yeah. at least a bruised rib. Yeah. Well, they, getting... they, they cause welts, those paintballs. I would imagine so. Ow. Moving on to lasers. Yes. One of the most basic forms of using a laser as a non-lethal weapon is, uh-huh. is you don't you don't have a high-powered laser. You use a low-powered laser right. to direct light at optics or sensors or people's vision, mm-hmm. and you're just trying to blind them. Now, these are called dazzlers or personal halting and stimulation response weapons. The oh. acronym is phaser. Oh. I know. It's not mine. I didn't make it up. 
Yeah, the uh, the Department of Defense has what it calls the Green Laser Interdiction System. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, that's another way of putting it. Yeah, and they 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 mount those on rifles. Yeah, to uh, to uh, dazzle their opponents. Uh, well, I mean, you think about it. There have been stories in the media. Uh, about people who are using off-the-shelf laser pointers and pointing them at aircraft yeah, trying to, to be blind, funny. To blind the uh, pilots. Uh, yeah, the, in this case, which these, is not okay. these lasers are, are well, they're low-powered in the sense that they're not, they're not powered high enough to do physical damage against something. They're not going to do any sort of vaporization or ablation or anything like that. Right, right. But they will, uh, they will cut straight through things like fog. Mm-hmm. And um, and they are very very bright, and they're bright enough to actually blind you temporarily, if you were to look into it. And it also, again, is used to to uh, confuse sensors and optics, so that uh, let's say that you've got a coordinated attack on a target. This way, you can um, you can minimize their defenses as much as you can when your attack is approaching. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, if you, you think about it, you. Um well, they also have a device called uh, ocular interruption, which mm-hmm. is sort of a, a broader effect. Um, you know, they could use it to uh, to warn and suppress uh, people who are, you know, the enemy or the the opponents of the uh, military or law enforcement trying to stop people. But it uh, it's a it, it's rather than shining a pinpoint type laser directly at somebody, it's more of a a very very bright light distributed. Um, and uh, you think about it, you get some uh, smoke grenades and uh, some some lasers and, and uh, very bright lights, and you either have uh, a very effective way to uh, confuse people or a rock concert. I was about to say, music. a Pink Floyd concert. Well, in looking at pictures of this, it's very it, it's very reminiscent of the kinds of effects that you would see at a, at a rock concert. All in all, you're just another brick in the wall. Boy. Uh, okay, so moving on with more laser stuff. How Have you heard about laser-induced plasma channels? No, I haven't. LIPC? All right, so this is kind of an interesting idea. So you know what a plasma is. It's an ionized gas. Plasma! <laughs> Dog plasma! All right, let's just... Come on, reel it in, big guy. Oh, okay. So plasma is an ionized gas, which means that it has free electrons flowing through this gas. It means that the gas itself can conduct electricity. Uh-huh. So imagine that you use a laser to create a channel of plasma. So in other words, you've got this area of of atmosphere, and then you create a channel of plasma within it, a pretty narrow channel. And then you fire electricity down that channel. It'll go across that channel as if it were a wire. Mm-hmm. So you could beam electricity in a way. Now, these things require a lot of power, and they don't have a lot of distance to them. So instead of being used as a weapon where you would direct it at an on, uh, approaching enemy, mm-hmm. you use it as a way of barricading a hallway or a corridor. Yeah. So you create these lasers that go up and down, say, a wall. So they're they're aligned horizontally. Like you could do them vertically, too, if you wanted to. But horizontally across um, uh, a hallway, you shoot this laser across the hallway, which creates this thin channel of plasma that spans the hallway. Then you shoot electricity along that channel. And now you've got these zapping beams of electricity spanning the hallway, which act as a pretty strong deterrent against anyone who has uh, trying to make um, unauthorized access to that corridor. 
I don't know. I've seen all those spy movies. All you have to do is, you know, do cartwheels and stuff over the lasers. Yeah, and get away. electricity works a little differently than lasers do. But uh, yeah, go ahead and give that a shot. Um, yeah, actually, uh, that's reminiscent. Uh, you know, jokes aside, that's reminiscent of the uh, plasma cutter podcast that we did some yeah. time ago. Yeah, it's not not entirely different. Now, most With of the, less lethal effects. Yeah, and this is intended again to be a non-lethal a way of, of stopping people from accessing uh, uh, hallways and corridors. Uh, it's, it's, not, you know, it's not the most uh, efficient means of trying to keep people out because it does require quite a bit of power to operate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have the Pulsed Energy Projectile, or PEP, mm-hmm. PEP. Now, this is one of the versions of the pain ray. And in, <laughs> in fact, we were specifically asked about the pain ray. Now, it's a shame about ray. Yeah. This reminds me of that time you tried to drill a hole in your head. Uh, the, actually, that was Egon. The, uh, but this, this particular weapon is different from the other one we'll talk about, which uses right. microwaves. We'll mm-hmm. move on to that in a little bit. This one uses a laser and, again, creates plasma. We have a bit more to say about non-lethal weapons, but Chris and I will have to do that after we take this quick break. So the pulsed energy projectile, what it does is it uses a deuterium fluoride laser that emits a very high-powered invisible laser, it's in the infrared spectrum, that when it hits something, it essentially starts to vaporize what it hits just on the very surface level. So if it hit you, it would start to vaporize you, but not like disintegrating. It would just be on the very surface, so like the top level of skin or whatever. But then it creates an exploding plasma. The electrons that the gas will give off start to get even more energized uh, as this laser pulses. And that energy creates this exploding plasma, and that in turn will stun a target, and it gives off this electromagnetic radiation that activates your nerve cells, Mm -hmm. which can give you the sense of pain. And that pain could be in many different forms. It could be, depending upon the the pulse, it could be a stabbing pain, it could feel like burning, it could feel like uh, ice. Um, And then there's also a lethal version of this technology. Mm Mm-hmm called the Pulsed Impulsive Kill Laser, which has the best acronym of all time, PICKLE. P-I-K-L. So, the uh, deadly pickle. So when you fire, fire that, you press the pickle switch. That's right. Yes. Give them the pickle. So uh, this was developed by a company called Mission Research Corporation, which is now part of Alliant Tech Systems. And there's some downsides to this weapon. Uh, one of the biggest is that it's huge. This is an enormous weapon that requires essentially a vehicle to move it around. So you, it's a mounted weapon at the time, at, at right now. It weighs around like 500 pounds. So it's not something that could be deployed in a, uh, like for your average infantry soldier. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's just there's no way of, of of miniaturizing it down at the moment. So, it's effective, uh, and it is you know supposed to, again supposed to be non-lethal. It essentially stuns the target and makes them hurt, 
but it doesn't kill them or, mm-hmm. or, or specifically actually injure them. It's just, again, activating their, their nerve endings. So there's no physical damage going on. It's just stimulating those nerve endings to create pain, mm-hmm. which in a way is like absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, there's no physical damage being done, but still really scary. Yeah. Uh, but not widely deployed. Right. Right. Yeah. The, uh, the, they've been talking about these weapons for quite some time. Yeah. Years and years at this point. And, uh, the, the one that we really should talk about has, uh, well, it has its own set of drawbacks, but it does use microwaves. Yes. Um, and, uh, <laughs> let's see, where, where to begin well, with, with this? Well, I guess we can call it the, the, there are two different versions of it that I read about. The uh-huh. active denial system. Yeah, that's the one I've read about most. ADS. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also one called the silent guardian, which is kind of a right. little brother to, uh, ADS. So ADS has a range of around 500 meters mm-hmm. and silent guardian has a range of around 250 meters. So, uh, but they both work on the same principle. They both use microwaves. Uh, to create a pain ray. Yeah. And uh, it gives you the sensation of burning. Yes. You, you, when you're hit by it, you feel like you are, are uh, you, like your skin is being uh, subjected to incredibly high temperatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched a CBS report on this, and the reporter actually withstood several blasts of this and explained what it felt like. He said that it felt like scalding water was being poured over all, mm-hmm. his entire body. And he was wearing... You know, uh, it was actually a cool day. He was wearing uh, a pretty heavy jacket. Mm-hmm. And he says that the microwaves just penetrate straight through the clothing. So yeah. the clothing offered no protection whatsoever. It didn't matter if his skin were, was exposed or not. Uh, he then held up a piece of plywood to use as a shield. And he said the problem was that using that still kept a lot of his body unprotected. And um, just hitting his feet and his hands was enough to make him dodge out of the way of the 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 pain ray. Yeah. Uh, he used a mattress, which helped a little bit, but he said even then he could only get so far before it got so painful that he couldn't stand it anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this is, you know, again, a pretty scary technology. It uses a microwave at around 95 gigahertz of frequency. Mm-hmm. And at that frequency, uh, the, the penetration of the microwave is only about 164th of an inch. So it's designed so it will not cook you from the inside out. Yeah, a microwave oven goes much deeper than that. It, it can go several centimeters into whatever it is that it yeah. is being exposed to it. Um, and this uh, this device is, is really, um, I, I read that uh, um, they had, the military had invited several people to uh, the um, Marine Corps base at Quantico, Virginia, to uh, experience this. Because basically they've been trying to drum up support for this. This device has been around for literally like 15, 20 years now. Yeah. Um, and the, again, this is one of the uh, the devices that has been pursued very actively by the military in, a, in an attempt to come up with something that is less than lethal and a way to discourage people. And yes, it does work. Um, the reason they're having to drum up support for it uh, is, uh, for one thing, it, it's known that it uses microwaves. Um, they deployed... Uh, the military deployed several of these uh, pain rays to um, the Middle East to use in theaters over there in the last few years, and they never really used them uh, because they were afraid that people would uh, start talking about how the military were using microwaves. 
uh, and they, you know, oh, well, you're going to cook us or you're going to make us sterile. Yeah, um, or, yeah you're going to irradiate us. You're this, going to irradiate this, us. And that's bad a, publicity, <laughs> which is if you're trying to say, look, you know, we don't want uh, fighting to escalate. Right. We just want to break this uh, argument up and, and stop this particular incident right here. And it's it's funny it because a lot of this is based on ignorance of how microwaves work. Because microwaves are a form of non-ionizing radiation. Right. But a lot of people don't. They understand that. They, they think of it in terms of the microwave oven. Right. We know that that can be used to, to irradiate cook. and cook. Well, and... and so. Most and people don't these, know that. Th- this, this pain ray, if it were left on someone and they were unable to move, it would cause burns. Yes. Uh, you know, a you couple people have been put in the hospital. Yeah, you, would, you, could, you could suffer actual burns to your skin. Now, you're not going to have the uh, – if you were sitting there long enough, those burns would start to burn through you. But the, uh, you wouldn't immediately suffer like deep burns. You would have skin burns, which aren't, that's no – Joy either, but no. um, mm-hmm. it it heats your skin up to about 130 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about 54 degrees Celsius, and uh, at that temperature, you're not. It's 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 enough for it to be painful, so you want to get out of the way. Yeah, it's not supposed to be so hot that it's going to immediately cause blisters to form and that kind of thing. Yes. Um, but you know that's it. Definitely, there are there's a perception that since it uses microwaves, it is more. Even, I want to say more sinister, but really, when you're talking about inflicting pain, that's pretty sinister already. But uh, or yeah. at least it can be. It can, yeah. That's what it can be perceived as. Right. Uh, but it's not as as it doesn't cause injury the way you would immediately assume once you hear a microwave. Right. Right. Um, there's another problem with it too. What's that? It takes a lot of energy. Yeah. And it takes a long time to turn on. So you can't uh, say there's a, a, dem- a demonstration that has gone out of hand. There are people throwing stuff. There are people looting, and you want to stop them. You don't drive up in the truck with a pain ray mounted on it. Um, the ones that, the pictures I've seen show a, a Humvee, well, a giant, it looks like a giant uh, satellite dish sort of yeah. uh, thing on the top, a the big, P- big antenna. The PEP is essentially a very similar form factor. Yeah. And uh, you don't, you don't, you know, drive up in the... Uh, Pain ray mobile and flip the switch and cause everybody to stop burning and looting. It, it takes a long time to power up. I've seen hours listed as the time it takes yeah. to, to power it up. First, you have to have a comedian come out, warm up the crowd. Yeah. Hey, so. Uh, and once things really get cooking, that's when you turn on the microwave. Yeah. <laughs> I see you're all looting. Hey, I like to loot. Say. You hey, want some shoes. You know, whenever you're looting and there's just nothing to pick up and throw through the window of that department store, doesn't that just make you crazy? Um, <laughs> hey, you got a size uh, 10 conquistador over there? <laughs> they, um, run, they, they run tight. So, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, this is that. That's also a problem with it. It's not something that uh, it has to be in place and on. Um, and in the case of having it vehicle mounted. That means you have to be running the engine yep. to keep the power on, yep. or you know a lot of battery usage, and that's uh, in an era when fuel is a lot more dear in cost. Um, that is a downside that that's hard to ignore. So um, this very sophisticated, uh, non-lethal weapon may just end up shelved because it's uh, uh, you know it's, it's got just not drawbacks. Practical. Yeah. yeah. 
Now, did you have any others you wanted to talk about? Because I'm done, but you said you had a few futuristic ones that you wanted well, to chat about. There was one. I know we're running a little long, so yeah. I, I just wanted to mention the one. I, I actually saw a thing in Wired about this in, in the magazine a few years ago, which is when, it, when you mentioned this, I thought, oh, that would be fun. I still can't find where I put that. But there was one that I read about then that I just I found a little bit on, and they've still they've pursued it, but it seems like it's still sort of fallen by the wayside, and that would be the goo gun. Oh, yes. Um, and uh, it's been called different things, but what it's designed to do, it's sort of like the uh, the polymer ice, except it's designed to immobilize a target by shooting gooey, silly string-like stuff at them. Uh, and why aren't I remember it saying uh, that it used some kind of uh, uh, bone derivative to to use this and it's supposed to harden up when you uh, get sprayed with it I see so it's a foam that that then yeah. solidifies yeah and and I think um, I think now what they've been using is more of a, a synthetic a polymer type uh, material I've, I've seen pictures of it um, it, it looks almost like the uh, the pink slime that people have been talking about about uh, meat processing lately it's a uh, sort of a gooey pink uh, tube-like stuff. The problem is it doesn't harden quickly enough to stop someone who's running. <laughs> so you end up gooey, but you don't end up uh, hardening up like a cartoon character after they've been coated in cement, which is to say, you know, within about half of a second. Mm -hmm. You know, every time somebody gets poured on uh, concrete on them in the cartoons, they, you know, it instantly hardens. <laughs> you know, it doesn't do that. Um, so it's kind of disappeared uh, from that um, from that uh, uh, usage, but I have seen that people are using net guns, and they've been using some kind of sticky material on the net so that mm -hmm. the net sticks to you, and that seems like it might be promising because if you uh, shoot somebody with the net, um, then uh, uh, you know, and it has that sticky stuff, and you can't it, think of it as like flypaper. All of a sudden, you're tangled up in this net; you can't run anymore. Um, it, it seems like that would be hard to load. You know, it would be more effective against a very small number of people. If you're dealing with a horde of zombies, I don't think you're. If you're by yourself, you're pretty much stuck. Yeah. I, well, I got five of them, but three hundred more are coming at me. I right. think I'm in trouble. Close up the mall. Well, I, I found the I found the article I think that you were talking about on Wired. It's called uh, "Army Reloads on Sticky Foam Weaponry." Yeah, that that is one of the newer articles. They um, this was one of those. It was a feature on a series of things, and it had the pain ray. It was oh, it was literally like a, a a series of uh, a couple paragraphs each. Gotcha. Um, in the print magazine. Well, I guess. But the, yes, that is that is one I consulted now, and it's the picture of the guy <laughs> covered in foam. It looks like he's been attacked by a bunch of octopuses. Yes, the, and, and it's thicker than. Silly string. It's probably a few uh, centimeters uh, in diameter. The spray. It's uh, it's not an attractive look. No, it's not. Say. It's not. And that wraps up another classic episode of Tech Stuff. Hope you guys enjoyed it and learned something. We have more non-lethal weapons that have been introduced since this podcast was recorded. But I am never ever going to forget the first time I ever saw a taser shotgun. That was a heck of a thing to see in person. Um, not. I don't ever, ever, ever want to have the experience of being hit by one. Not at all. Uh, so let's just skip that part. But if you guys have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, you can write to me and let me know. The email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. 
Or you can pop on over to our website. That's techstuffpodcast.com. There you're going to find links to our presence on social media. You'll also find archives of all the episodes we've ever recorded, including these classics. And you'll find a link to our online store. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 